Church, you really know how to worship today, man. I was impressed. That was good. Good. Today, we're going to continue in our sermon series entitled Fear Less. And today, we're going to be talking about the fear of losing control. You know, in Psalm 27, verse 1, it says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And it goes on to tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Church, I want you to think about it today. All of us, we all have something that we're afraid of. You know, something that we struggle with and, and, and something that in reality, church, it's way beyond our control, right? You can't control it. And we may hear something that sets us off. You know, you hear a noise or something and it sends you into that fear or you see something that, that next thing you know, you're spiraling out of control with irrational fear, fear. Church, usually that's what it is. It's irrational. How many of you have the fear of what if? You know what I'm talking about? And the truth of the matter is, many of you, you're sitting here in church at this very moment, and you're living with what the Bible calls an anxious heart, an anxious heart. See, there's a heaviness about you. There's something weighing you down. It is something that you've got going on in your life that is making it difficult for you to cope, difficult for you to even do what God has called you to do. So in your heart, in your mind, church, there's something that's bothering you. There's something that you're worried about, and like I said, the Bible calls that an anxious heart, and here's what the Bible says about an anxious heart. In Proverbs, if you'll look at this with me, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, it says this, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. I want you to look at the very beginning of that verse where it says anxiety weighs down the heart. Many of you, you're sitting here in church today and you are weighted down. You're weighted down with the heaviness of a certain concern that, that you've got in your life. And, and how do you know, church? How do each and every one of us know? How do we know if, if we are living with an anxious heart? If those of you who got a bulletin today, if you want to kind of follow along with me, there's an insert in your bulletin. If you got an ink pen, you can do it or you can just listen. Inside your bulletin, there's a sheet. It has six different characteristics of people who have an anxious heart. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read these questions off to you, and you simply answer it by yes by checkmarking the box. And so if you check three or more, three or more of those things listed there, then guess what? You probably have an anxious heart. The very first question is this. Are you rattled when things don't go as you expect them to? Does it, does it shake you up? Are you rattled when things go, don't go as expected? Number two, do you often worry about things that are out of your control? Are you worrying about the things that you can't do anything about? Check mark yes if that's you. Number three, do you lose sleep? Do you lose sleep over pressing issues? You know, things that you've got going on in your life. Check it, mark it, yes, if that's you. Number four, is it hard to turn off your mind? You know what I'm talking about, church? Your mind just keeps going and going and going. You better check mark that, yes, if that's you. Number five, does the unknown intimidate you? You know, I'm talking about the fear of tomorrow. You're not, you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring, and it intimidates you. And, and number six is this, do you often 
imagine the worst case scenarios. You know what I'm talking about? It's your mind will start here and you will spiral out of control before we're all going to die or we're all going to jail, one or the other, right? The worst case scenarios. So if you've checkmarked three or more of those things, chances are that you are living with an anxious heart. And church, if you have an anxious heart, it's definitely weighing you down in life. If you have an anxious heart, it's weighing you down. And, and, and that's the way it is. I'm a guy, and I've told you this a lot of times, it's a big struggle with me, and I'm working on it. God really, he's working on it in wild ways with me. But I'm a guy, I like to have control. You know what I'm talking about? Control with myself, control of the things around me, and I'm going to be honest, sometimes control of the people who are around me. I like, I like that. And when I was younger, I learned this very quickly when I got my driver's license, when me and a bunch of my friends would go somewhere, I would quickly volunteer to drive. They thought I was being generous with my gas money. The reason I wanted to volunteer to drive is because I was in control. I wasn't going anywhere that I didn't want to go because if somebody else is driving and you're like, I don't want to go there, they're like, you can walk or ride, whichever one you want to do, right? Get out of the car if you don't want to go with us. So I would drive. And, and, and even today, man, I, I like to be in control, but I'm getting older, so I love it when my wife will drive me somewhere, even though... Even though I'll sit there and I still want to be in control, I enjoy the fact I can go to sleep. And, and speaking of that, you know, when, because when I'm a passenger, I'm anxious. And several years back, we went on a missions trip. Um, I think we were going to Tennessee, if I remember right. And, and Dave Murray, some of you guys know my friend Dave Murray, and, and he can be ornery. And he was driving, and I was in the passenger seat, and I was so tired. I said, I'm going to go to, go to sleep. Please drive safe, Okay. And so I go to sleep, and unbeknownst to me, he got all the kids in the vehicle. He said, I'm going to tap the brakes, and when I tap the brakes, everybody scream. <laughs> so I'm laying there sleeping. He hit the brakes. Everybody in the van screamed real loud. I jumped up, thinking we're all going to die, right, and panicking. Church, and it was because I was not in control. That's what it boils down to. And we all like to be in control, don't we? We do. I recently had a parent ask me, and I asked this parent if I could use this. We won't mention any names. It was Jimmy, okay? <laughs> His name's really not Jimmy, but I like Jimmy, though. How can I, he said this to me, he said, how can I get my 21-year-old son to do what I want him to do? <laughs> my 21-year-old son. And so there was like a two-part sermon series just right there talking to this guy about it. Number one, you can't raise grown children. You just can't. Try as hard as you want to. You can't raise them, okay? And so once we got through that, I had to help this guy realize that you can't always control the people around you. You can't. You can't always control the people around you. And so parents, spouses, everyone who's sitting here, you have to embrace this. You really do. You have to embrace this. You can't control those around you, neither by power or manipulation. You really can't control them. And we can't control other people, church, even though we try. We try really hard, don't we? And not only can you not control other people, but you cannot ultimately control the events of life. You can't do it. We try really hard, don't we? And so here's the bottom line, and I hope that you're ready to embrace this, church. Hope you're ready to embrace this. And it goes like this. You are never, ever in control. You really are not. Some of you, you think you're in control, but honestly, you are never, 
ever in control. You're not in control now, and you're not going to be in control tomorrow either. You're not. Our God is the one who is in control. And for some of you control freaks, freaks, you're not listening right now because you're trying to be in control. You don't want to hear it, right? You're not in control now. You will never be in full control of your life. And so the reason so many of us fear losing control is because control is something, church, that we never, ever had in the first place. We really don't have it. You fear of losing it because you don't have it. We struggle with that. So we live under the illusion, right? How many of you have lived under this illusion in your life? Some of you, you're, you're, you're heading into that path right now. We live under the illusion of life that if we do everything just right, then the events will come out the way that we want them to. Man, that is a lie that the enemy loves to package up and sell, especially to young people. If we do everything a certain way, everything's going to come to pass exactly how we want it to. And the ironic thing is this. Oftentimes, the things that we desire to control the most are really and truly the things that are most precious to us. Think about that for a minute. And these things, all of these things that are the most precious things to us are the most out of our control, truthfully. The most out of our control. That's why so many people have learned to live with an anxious heart. We've learned to live with this anxious heart, and we don't even realize that the anxiety is actually weighing us down. So what do we do, church? For those of you who are struggling with an anxious heart, what do we do? The Word of God teaches us two principles of directly how to experience, listen to me, directly how to experience his peace in the middle of that action, of that anxiousness. And the very first one is this, church. We take our minds off of the what-ifs of fear. Those what-ifs. How many of you are what-ifers? You know what I'm talking about? You just all day long, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens, right? We do that, and this is how it goes. You know, what if the economy crashes on us, right? What if, they, what if I lose my job? What if my spouse is unfaithful? What if the doctor gives me a bad report? What if I don't have any children? <laughs> what if I have six children, right? And the little opposite of that right there. And so what do we do, church? We've got to learn to take our minds off the what ifs of fear. We really truly, we've got to learn to do that. In fact, Jesus said this. If you'll look with me at Luke chapter 21, verse 14, Jesus, this is him speaking. He said, but make up your mind. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand on how you would defend yourselves. I love the very first part of that verse. He says, you make up your mind not to worry beforehand. It means even before you start the worrying, you make up your mind in advance, like, I'm not doing that. How many of you say, I ain't worrying about it, right? right? You send your kids out to do something, I ain't worrying about it. You do, you're lying. You do. But listen, we have to establish that, especially when it comes to the what ifs. You decide beforehand, you make up your mind beforehand not to worry. But before the situation even arises, church, that's what we do. Before it even arises, we got to make up our minds not to worry. So how many of you remember the bad things in your life? I'm talking about for years. We do that, don't we? We'll take those bad things that have happened to us, and we remember them for years. And most of the time, church, we forget about the good times. We will dwell and focus, and we zero in on the bad times, the things that have happened to us, whether it was your fault, somebody else's fault, or just circumstances, whatever it might be, we drill in and we focus on these things 
And we forget about all the good things that God has done in our lives, haven't we? We do. We don't pay attention to that. And man, some of us, we remember that bad stuff with vivid detail, don't we? With vivid detail. Why do we do that? I tell you why, church. Because we're sick. That's why. (laughs) For real. We're a little messed up in the head, and we got our priorities backwards. We're not paying attention to it properly because it's so much easier to focus on the negative than it is the positive. Really, it's so much easier. <clears throat> Reminds me of a, something I, I recently watched. There's something called extreme skiing. I don't know if you've ever seen this or not before. It's, it's crazy. So basically, these dudes, they're, they're a few nuggets shy of a Happy Meal for real. They get in a helicopter with their skis on. They literally take them to the tip top of the mountain. They hop out, and the object of extreme skiing is this. You go down it as fast as you can all the way to the bottom without hitting a tree and dying. That's, that's the object of it. Bottom line, that's how it works. And so there's a, a gentleman. His name's Kim Rickleman. He's the world champion, okay, of extreme skiing. And he was asked by some reporters, he says this, that reporters asking this, how is it you don't run into the trees? Because these guys are flying. It's very profound, his answer. And so Kim Rickleman answers back. He says, how do I not run into the trees? And then he said this. He said, I don't look at the trees. I look at the spaces between the trees. Think about that, church. He isn't focusing on the trees. He focuses on the space in between the trees, the things that he can navigate, the ways that he can get around it. That's what he focuses on. He doesn't look what can distract him or or what can get him. He looked at the spaces between the trees. And so in other words, church, he's saying this. He said, I don't look at the what ifs of fear. I don't look at those what ifs of fear. I've made up my mind not to worry, and I'm going to focus on the spaces. Church, I want to remind you, I want you to remember, I just read it to you a couple minutes ago, Luke chapter 21, verse 14. He says, make up your mind not to worry beforehand. You make up your mind beforehand, I'm not going to worry. And I don't know about you, church, I'm being honest with you today. I am still learning to embrace that biblical principle. I'm learning, man. I'm struggling with it. But see, Jesus tells us this. He explains to us, and he teaches us to take our minds off the what ifs of fear. We take our minds off the what ifs. We don't look at the trees. Instead, we look at the spaces between the trees. And why does Jesus Tell us not to worry. Write this down. If you're writing down anything, make sure you get this. Worry never changes anything for the good. Think about that. Worry never changes anything at all for the good. What it does is it wrecks your health, right? Makes you go bald, whatever you want to say. It does all these kind of things to you. It never changes anything for the good. Will worry change some things? You bet it will, but not for the good. It can mess up a lot of things in your life. It can, of course, mess up your health, as I said. It can mess up your relationship with God. It can mess up your relationship with other people. It can mess up all those things. It can mess up your ability to engage in action, church, to do something, because you're too worried about it. Every place you see in the Bible, church, every place you see in the Bible, you see the word worry. Do you realize there's two words in front of it? Do not. Do not worry, right? Do not worry. 
Why is that? I already told you. Because worry never changes anything for the good. That is why Jesus asked this one question, and, and this is like a game changer if you've ever paid attention to it. Jesus asked this one question in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27 is this. He says, can any of you, he's saying everybody, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? If that was true, if it was opposite of what Jesus said, I'd need to be like 200, right? But it doesn't. It gets us nowhere. But the Bible also says this, but an anxious heart weighs a person down. Church, that anxious heart, that, that worrying, the fear of the what ifs, it'll pull you down. It'll make you sink. And therefore, we will take our minds, church, we will take our minds off the what ifs of fear. We have to. If we want to survive, we have to. We will not worry because worry changes nothing. And so the key thought, key thought, write this down too, is this. Satan's tool of fear. Satan's tool of fear is meant to deter you from God's best. Satan's tool of fear is meant to deter you from what God has for you, right? How many of you guys have ever seen The Wizard of Oz, right? We've seen... I actually have not seen The Wizard of Oz all the way. I couldn't stay awake for it was long, and, and I've seen bits and pieces of Wizard of Oz. I, I should probably watch it sometimes so I can feel like one of the cool kids. But, you know, the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, right, he, he didn't have a brain. He didn't have a brain. Couldn't think. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't do anything, right? And, and so think about this. What does a farmer who has good corn do? A farmer has good corn when the birds are eating his corn. What does he do? He puts up a scarecrow. But does this scarecrow have any power whatsoever to harm the birds? Has nothing. The scarecrow has no power to harm the birds. With the scarecrow, the scarecrow's only weapon is this, church, fear. That's the scarecrow's only weapon is fear. The only weapon he has. And see, our spiritual enemy, he has just a few weapons. We give him way too much credit. You realize that? You give the devil way too much credit. He only has a few weapons, and the first one he has is lies. He uses lies as, as a weapon, deceiving our minds to believe something that is not true. How many of you in your lifetime have believed something that is not true? Maybe someone called you a name, and you started owning that name, and it's not even true, right? The second weapon the enemy has is this. He has fear. Remember, church, God has not given us fear. He has not given you a spirit of fear. The enemy has. And why he's given you that fear is so that you don't live up to the potential of what God has created you for. Because you're so stricken with fear, you don't move into the life that God has for you. So, back to the corn. If I was a smart birdie, if I was a smart birdie, anytime I saw a scarecrow, you know what I'd think? I wouldn't be afraid. Why? Because that scarecrow has no ability to harm me, but instead, my mind would go looking for the scarecrows because you know what? They're guarding the best corn. They're guarding the best corn. And so listen, church, whenever fear enters in our lives, whenever that fear begins to enter your lives, we need to allow our faith. <clears throat> we need to allow our faith in God break through that wall of fear because on the other side of that fear, you will often find God's blessings. You'll find that blessing. 
the enemy is trying to keep you from God's blessings. So he instills that spirit of fear in you, right? We, we've been talking about this this whole month. I fear rejection. We talked about it. We had a sermon about rejection. I fear rejection. I don't want to be hurt. But faith in God helps us break through that wall of fear. And then when we break through that wall of fear, we find intimacy, the kind of intimacy that God desires for us with him and with those around us. When you stop fearing rejection. I feel failure. We talked about that, right? When the faith in God penetrates that fear of failure, on the other side of the wall, we find blessings. We find the blessings of God's successes in our lives. You know, as a leader of the church, every single time we would make, I guess what I would call like an aggressive leadership decision, a move, an aggressive leadership move, I was consumed with fear. We've made a couple really big ones. For those of you it's been around for the last 12 years, man, we've made some really big moves. You're sitting in one of them right now. We made some really big moves, and after we decide to do it, we pray about it, we decide. I tell you what, as the leader, man, I would be consumed with fear in the beginning because nobody wants to be the preacher that sinks the boat. You don't want to go down in that, right? But I tell you what, God has always been faithful. He is. When we overcome that fear, man, we look at some of the blessings that he has given the church. When we, when we broke that wall of fear, we took a step of faith. When we took a step of faith, and on the other side of that fear, we experienced God's blessings. Man, I've seen it so many times. I have. Do you realize, though, the scarecrow, the fear of the evil one, is often an advertisement for God's very best for you in your life? Think about that. That fear, that can be the scarecrow, right? It's an advertisement of God's got something really good for you. And the enemy wants to keep you from it. And you know what? In Jeremiah chapter 10, man, when I read this this past week, it blew my mind. It really did because I I don't remember ever seeing it. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, it says this, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Blew my mind that Jeremiah is talking about skips in the cucumber field. But what he says there, those things that we're afraid of, think about this. These scarecrows, they can't speak. And some of you, you know what you've done? You've turned these into idols in your life. You know why? Because you focus on them so much. We focus on our fear and, and the things we're afraid of, the what ifs, and you're focusing on them so much, they now have become an idol to you. You've actually taken the attention you should be giving God and you're focusing on that fear, not in a good way, by playing the what if game. It says that these idols, these, these, these scarecrows, these crows, these fears, they must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. And man, I love the tail end of that verse. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Church, if you are living with an anxious heart, it's weighing you down. You got to take your minds off the what ifs, and you got to put your minds on the promises of faith. Do you realize God has made you promises? Isaiah chapter 26, in Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says this to us. It says, you will keep in perfect 
peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Do you realize that? How many of you just say, man, I wish I could have some peace? Yeah, especially if you've got little kids, right? Running around the house, man, I wish I could have some peace. It says you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds, when your mind is steadfast, when you are paying attention to God, when you are trusting in God, you will find peace. You will be kept in perfect peace. We're talking about the supernatural church, the supernatural peace of God. It's a perfect peace, one that transcends all understanding. People aren't going to get it. We trust him. Church, when we trust him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our souls, with all of our strengths, when we trust him and lean not into our own understanding, when we acknowledge him in everything, I'm talking everything, church, you will be kept in perfect peace. I'm not saying you won't have turmoil going on around you, but you'll kind of have that attitude like, it's going to work out. It's okay. This too will pass, right? When we are so worried and we are afraid, do you realize, church, you are not trusting God. You're not trusting him, right? I'm not telling you can't have a knee-jerk moment there where you're like, ooh, this happened. No, I'm talking about you're living in it. I'm talking about you set up camp. You built yourself a fire, and you're going to live there in that fear. You're going to live there in those what-ifs. So when we are worried and afraid, we're not trusting God. And so I ask you this morning, church, listen to me. Do you trust God? Do you trust him? I remember as a little kid, <clears throat> my mom would take us out to, some of you remember as Lake Marwin, some of you remember as Johnny's Landing. I think if you're under 30, you don't remember none of it, okay? There was a, a very large swimming pool that was out back of East Liverpool off Shady Lane. And man, we would go there all the time. And I remember just as a little kid, my mom was wanting to teach me how to swim, right? She was gonna take care of me. So at the age of 17, my mom's, I'm joking. <laughs> I was little, and I remember her standing on the side of that pool, and she's standing there, and she said, I want you to jump in, and I'm crying and screaming, I can't, and she said this, she said, do you trust me, and I said, no, <laughs> I don't, right, because I was afraid she would drop me down in that pool, and if you ever swam there, now the baby pool was safe, but that big one, you didn't know what was in, there was frogs and everything else, because it was attached to a lake. But do you know what? I'm asking you today, do you trust him? Do you trust God to catch you? Do you trust God to hold you? Church, do you trust him with all your heart? Do you trust him with all your soul, with all your mind? I'm talking about you always, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. Do you trust him with all your strength? Man, church, do you trust him today? Yeah, I trust him today. I'm in church. <laughs> okay, how about tomorrow? When you're not in church, it's easier to trust him when you're in church. Are you going to trust him tomorrow? How about Tuesday? Are you going to trust him on Tuesday? George Mueller said this, and he said it this way. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. But check out what he said next. And the beginning of faith is the end of anxiety. That's huge, church. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. When you give in that anxiety, you are no longer having faith in God to take care of you. But listen, when you begin to have faith, church, then that's going to end that anxiety in your life. And faith brings peace. 
It really does. It brings peace, but worry, church. Worry is going to bring turmoil into your life. Faith draws you closer to God, but worry takes you away from God. Faith, church, changes things. God responds to the faith of his children. I hope you know that. God will respond to your faith, to your faith. He will respond to the faith of his children. And I want to remind you, worry changes nothing. Worry changes nothing. So this morning, I want to encourage you as I ask the praise team to come up here. I want to encourage you to understand that you've got to give your cares to God. I'm talking about your cares. I'm talking about your worries. Church, I'm talking about your what ifs. I'm talking about you, you, you give your cares to him today. You give them to him again tomorrow, right? If you are here today and you're sitting here with an anxious heart, if you're sitting here with an anxious heart, you're thinking like, preacher, what's the application in all this? How do I, how do I apply this to my life? How do we just not be hearers of God's word, but how do we become doers of God's word, right? I can sit there and throw it all out to you all day long. You're like, that sounds good, preacher. Oh, I like that. That's awesome. But how do you apply that? How do you take the word and apply God's word to your life? And here's how you do it, church. You give your cares to God. You, you give your cares to God. Whatever you're worrying about, you've got to trust God. You have to trust him. See, we cast our cares upon him. And we trust him. We trust him to take care of us. Church, his promises are true. His promises are very true. Sometimes you know what the enemy will do. You'll take God's promises and you'll believe them. But the enemy convinces you they are for everybody else but you. But I'm here to tell you today that that's a lie. You trust him in his promises. His promises are true. His promises are true for you. And so today, whatever your care is, whatever your concern is, whatever is weighing you down, some of you, man, some of you, you want to be in control. You want to be in control uh, even in your relationship with God, don't we? We like to manipulate him. We like to try to tell him this is the way it needs to be. You know, you, some of you, you want to think that if you're doing good things, then you're in good standing. That's not true. Some of you, you, you think if you're doing bad things that you're not in good standing. Church, that's not necessarily true. The only way to be in good standing is to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you won't do some bad things here and there. It can't be that's your lifestyle, church. But you want to be in control today. You want to be in control of that relationship. And the truth of the matter is this, church. God wants you to not be in control. God doesn't want you to be in control. God doesn't want you to be in the spiritual driver's seat. No, he wants you to be in the spiritual passenger's seat. And as much as we want to be in control, Jesus said this. He says this, you want to find your life? He said, you got to lose it. You honestly want to find your life, the life that I've designed for you, the life that I created for you. Man, some of you, you're searching, and you're searching hard. 
God's saying, it's right here. If you want to find the life I have for you, you got to lose the life that you have right now. And it comes down to this. The Bible says that our best attempt at righteousness are like filthy rags. Your best attempt of trying to make it right to be good it's just like filthy rags nobody wants that see but if we could be right with God just if we could be right with God by being good then there was no reason for Jesus Christ to ever come and to make that right sacrifice for us this morning as you're sitting here and maybe you're struggling you're wanting to be in control and you're wanting to call the shots for your life You're wanting to live either on the fringe of what God has for you, or maybe you're sitting here today, you are living way off in left field. God's calling you home. He's saying, I have a better life for you. I have something I designed for you even before your parents thought of you. I knew you, and I prepared in advance for your coming to this earth for something for you to have. So this morning, if you're hearing me, and you know that you're not right, you know that you don't have it right with him. Let today be the day that you say, Lord, I'm giving it all to you. I want, I want to give you control. I want to surrender. I want to make this right, Lord, because I know that you've only given me one life to live, and I want to live it well. And so if that's for you this morning, I want to encourage you to come up. And you can make it right with him. You admit who you are, that you struggle. You struggle so bad. God already knows your struggle. And you can come forward and surrender it all to him. And for the rest of you Bible-believing Christians, you're sitting here right now, how many of you are living in fear? Fear of losing control. Fear of not being in control of the life that God has given you. I want to remind you, today is another day for you to surrender it. Whatever your struggles are, whatever your what ifs, whatever your fear, the things that you're struggling with, you can give it back to him right now today. And guess what? You might have to give it back to him again tomorrow and the next day. But the fact is you keep giving it back to him and he will honor that. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and sing. I really want to encourage you to respond this morning.